All right. Well, welcome to the Monday Minute of the Huntback Country podcast. Uh, if you're new, these are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. In this episode, we will answer exactly that, listener questions, both on our K4 packs, which uh, we've been talking about a lot, as well as some non-pack related stuff. Steve, how's it going, man? Good. Really good. Kind of good weekend with the family. Just kind of hung around the house, did some, went for bike rides and hikes and um oh <laughs> best story ever uh, <laughs> like so like uh growing up playing pictionary is one of my favorite games to play with the family you know and yeah. then like a couple of years ago trish got me that so we could play with the family it's kind of like a kid's version of it and uh so we were playing and uh, trish was drawing and um joey wasn't even supposed to be guessing it was my daughter was supposed to be guessing they were the team and joey and i were a team but uh, the thing was swimsuit uh, that and so Trish drew a little body and then started drawing like uh basically like a bikini bottom <laughs> yeah. and Joey like he kept wanting to jump in and he just goes penis because <laughs> 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 she drew like the swimsuit was like pointing to that area you know yeah uh, dude we were all just dying that on the floor right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that all stems from like you know Trish tries to my wife tries to have a keeps things anatomically correct when they're talking right. about you know private parts and, <laughs> um it was so freaking funny dude that's uh, hilarious yeah that was good uh certainly a good memory that'll stick with you forever you know yeah those little things man like write them down because i feel like with my kids you feel like you'll always remember that stuff but you just forget so much you know not necessarily yeah. that happened you just forget to think of it it's funny right yeah <laughs> nice well we are uh basically just a week away from the k4 launch um we were just chatting steve before we hit record here i just how much i still have to do (laughs) to get the website ready and things like that but um as we said in the intro we'll answer some k4 questions uh and some non-k4 questions but it's definitely just front of mind for us because there's so much to do uh but it's exciting times for sure to finally get this out there um before we dive into listener questions we had some feedback on a recent episode that we did with Curtis. If you guys didn't hear that episode, uh, Steve, you didn't record that one with me. It was one of the days when you were out, but um, I know you'll actually love it. Steve, go back and listen to episode 392. It's called Solo Elk Success. It's 60 years old. Um, And so I just want to mention that because we've gotten a ton of good feedback. And I even said, during that podcast, like during that conversation with Curtis, how much I enjoyed it. But just want to encourage listeners, if you haven't listened to that full episode yet, um, it's definitely one to listen to. It's a super neat episode. Uh, Diving into questions, Steve, let's go ahead and hit an audio question that came through from a listener on K4 sizing. Well, you have a chart or some kind of instruction on the most optimal um, selection for frame height, like 20, 23 and a half versus <clears throat> 25 uh, and, and 26. I'm five, six and, um, thinking a 23 and a half, but, uh, want to know if you're going to have some kind of uh, chart or instructions on how to figure that out. Thanks. All right. So Listeners, yes, we will have a chart and a video and a bunch of information on how to select both frame height and hip belt size. Um, I'm going to go ahead and 
put that up now for you guys. Um, it's not going to be fully public on the website yet, but essentially check the link in the show description um, and I'll have that page available for you guys to actually go check out early today. If you're interested, um, Steve, what what questions or things should guys know as they go look at that sizing information? Yeah, so as far as just general fitting questions that basically there's two steps you got to do. First one, pick the belt size that you need. And that's just based off of your hip measurement, kind of the widest point. And then the second one is figure out uh, what frame height you need. He obviously he said he's five foot six. I would certainly think he's in that 23 and a half uh, frame height, maybe 22 inch frame, but I would say uh, probably solidly that 23 and a half inch frame, but that's just based off of your height. And then just having an understanding of, your torso, which is the top of your hip bones to basically the, the top of your shoulders, base of your neck and having an understanding of what that is. So most guys know like, okay, for, for my height, I've, you know, got like for me, example, five foot 11, I, you know, 32 inch, uh, in semen pants, which is pretty standard, right? Some guys are, there could be, you know, yeah, you're just going to know if your torso is kind of long or tall just for your body. Uh, mm-hmm. in re- retrospect and so if you're average you just kind of go right off the chart if you know that now nah, i've, I've kind of got a longer torso for my height then then that's where you kind of talk about jumping up to a, a slightly taller frame size or or vice versa there's plenty of guys who you go you know that are six foot three but they're just all legs they're 36 inch inseam that same guy is going to wear the same 25 inch frame as me mm-hmm. so just understanding basically your your torso length to pick the correct frame height and there's there's a lot of gray area between the two i we just shot the fitting video last week and i kind of discussed that where like like both of these are going to work here's the pros and cons for the shorter frame versus the taller frame and those the the it's pretty simple frankly that the taller frame uh, is going to feel better with really heavy loads but at some point if the frame gets too high, then your head's bumping into the back of the frame and having head clearance issues all day long gets kind of annoying. Just, you know, you're hunting brushy country or even hunting steep country where you're, you know, hiking up hills and just looking up the, up the hill and your head hits the top of the frame. So we're trying to balance having the frame tall enough that you're getting a good load lifter angle with uh, not having the frame too tall to have head clearance issues. And that's really, that's why the four frame heights exist, trying to find that perfect balance between those two features yeah there's uh as you said the video covers a lot we have the size chart what you'll see on especially that frame height chart is that there's instances where for your height will list two options for you um because that's important to keep in mind is like there's six inches of torso adjustment on each option so like for me perfect example being six two I could wear a 25 inch frame or a 26 and a half inch frame. Either one's going to fit my torso well based on how I adjust it. Um, and then we break down the pros and cons of, okay, well, if I, I'm in this scenario where this one or that one's going to work, how do I help narrow down which one's best for me? Um, and you hit on a lot, Steve, there. Sometimes that's based on what is your torso for your height? Like, are you longer legs than average or shorter legs than average? So it's just based on where, how you're hunting. And we talk about all that. So it's a, there's a lot of helpful information in there, but it is a, a pretty simple process. So again, I'll leave a link in the show description to get you guys early access to um, that size selection page for K4. Yeah. One note I did uh, cover in the video that we shot 
was that 90% of people are going to be in the, as far as the torso adjustment on the frame, so moving the shoulder harness up and down on the frame. They're the third and fourth slot from the bottom, which is basically the, the middle. 90% of people are going to fall into that ballpark. We, I mean, we went to Reno, Salt Lake, and Portland, put the pack on well over a thousand people, right? Come in the booth mm-hmm. to try it on with weight. And I think, I mean, there was probably only a handful of times that any of us actually had to disconnect the harness and move the torso up and down on the frame. Like that, that middle slot is going to cover the vast majority of guys. And there's, you know, each we, there's some adjustment in there of, I cover again in the video, but it's, um, yeah, 90% of people are going to fall in that middle of the range. If, if you're, uh, what made me think of it was a guy came in in Salt Lake and he was like five foot, you know, 10, five foot nine, five foot 10. And he had the torso set to the highest setting. And I instantly looked at it and like, dude, that's, yeah, we, we need to fix this for you. And he was like, no, it's it packed on elk last three year. And it was really comfortable. I'm like nine. Yeah. But let's fix this for you. Cause he <laughs> got it wrong. Um, and we fixed it. And he was like, Oh yeah, that does feel better. So, uh, just for reference for people know that you're the high likelihood that you're going to land right in the middle of the adjustments. Yep. All right, let's tackle a shelter question that came through from a listener. He emailed in and said, I'm an Eastern hunter with intentions of yearly elk hunts out West in the future. I'm looking into a one person shelter or potentially a two person to fill my needs of backpack hunting and general backpacking. I've narrowed it down to the Gossamer gear, the one, the Argali Rincon, with the insert and the tarp tent stratus fire. Um, I'm also open to any other recommendations. Thanks. I wanted to chat about this question, not to give this guy an answer um, <laughs> on those three shelters, which are all three good shelters. They're all different. Um, but just to kind of highlight like questions to think through a little bit as it comes to shelter choice. Um, Shelters are one of those things where there's so many options, there's so many styles, et cetera. Um, And it can be easy to put yourself in a situation where I think you're comparing different shelters that are really different. And it's not a matter of which one is better, but a matter of which one fits my needs best, right? So um, for this guy, he talked about a yearly elk hunt out west, like what we don't know is is he only going to archery hunt or is there potential that he's hunting elk out west kind of in all of the months of fall is it only september for archery or is there potential he's doing like october and november rifle hunts because that would certainly uh change what the recommendation would be on a shelter for example um he also mentioned one person and two person shelters And again, that's just another thing to narrow down is, am I going to always be solo, not necessarily on a solo hunt, but solo in my shelter? Or are there potential hunts where I will be sharing this shelter with someone else? Because again, right off the bat, that obviously narrows down some choices. Um, And I think, Steve, just thinking through an honest assessment of hunting style, and maybe this guy doesn't know Mm -hmm. yet, but do you plan to go on this elk hunt and hunt from a base camp, whether that's near your truck or even packing in and like setting up a camp and day hunting from that. Or do you foresee, um, 
you know, hunting with camp on your back and like moving like we often do and setting up camp at the end of the day where you find yourself. That not only dictates things like how important it is to have a lighter shelter, but also dictates things such as um, wanting a smaller shelter that just needs less space to set it up because sometimes you're not you can't be picky on camp site selection. So you go with a bigger shelter, a wider footprint. It's just going to be harder to put in different places. So I know those are all big questions and I'm happy we can chat a little bit about the different shelters he mentioned. But I think this question just highlights like sometimes you need to step back away from the products and really just think through what are my needs first and then find some products that fit those needs, if that makes sense, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Are there any other kind of questions or big picture items that came to mind for this guy's situation? Yeah, for me, you kind of hit on it there for sure. Is like if you're just leaving the truck and going to set up a base camp, so you're going to hike in there three miles, four miles, five miles. the The actual tent is just you could go to REI and buy any tent off the shelf, and it's going to work just fine for you, right? Like you're setting it up once. You're going in, you're, you know, ideally you're going to have more time to hike around and find that perfect flat spot and like, okay, this is where base camp is, right? And then, then you set it up and then you go hunt for, you know, two, three, four, five days, whatever. And then you're only ever, if it's kind of, if it's a pound or two heavier than other tents, but you're only packing it for, you know, you're only packing that pound or two for three miles, four miles on your way in and then on, back on the way out. Again, it just becomes a lot less critical uh, of exactly what the tent is and, and its features. For for us, where we're packing up camp every single morning and it's on our back, that now all of a sudden that weight is with you all the time. The You got to take into consideration. I, mean, I would say that hands down the biggest consideration for me is ease of setup and footprint size like those two things one needs to be really easy to set up because i'm doing it a a lot frequently i mean we're you know even just if a rainstorm comes in in the middle of the day it's just i want to be able to easy to set up because i can pop it up crawl into it get out of the rain for a while tear it back down and then footprint size is the next one as you hit on it's uh, oftentimes we find ourselves at dark kind of like trying to find a place to to sleep and just having somewhere a tent that can fit in a lot more spaces is is key where if you have like the bigger uh you know tp style tents things like that that just require a really large footprint you're really going to struggle to to find a place to sleep um so those are the those are the two biggest requirements and then from there it's like okay this tent is easy to set up it's got uh, a small footprint but then you there's there's different designs where it's like the livable interior space is terrible if you know definitely been in a lot of situations where you spend 24 36 hours inside your tent because weather comes in and you need to be able to sit up inside of it drink some coffee hang out eat a snack you know i always download movies watch a movie on the phone you just need to be able to live in the thing for a little bit so balancing that small footprint with livable spaces is tricky and um yeah there's yeah, there's so many different things. And then, yeah, if he's just elk hunting, you're typically going to be more timber and protected and not have to worry about it. If you're high country mule deer hunting, your you know, tents higher and exposed on ridgelines where, you know, you, it better be able to handle wind loads really well. So that's all that goes back to a smaller footprint design. It's less surface area, having good guy out points, a good structure. There's uh, 
it gets a lot more complicated once you start talking about packing up camp every morning and and then just sleeping in a lot of different uh, areas as far as ex- exposure to the elements. Yeah. And then you throw in the mix of, you know, going up to Alaska every few years. And then it, then you really start narrowing down <laughs> the tents or actual options because then you're talking, uh, you know, really heavy winds that you just don't see in the lower 48. Yeah, just to highlight on like a couple uh, thoughts on let's pick two of the specific tents you mentioned, the Gossamer Gear, the one, which I've used a ton in a lot of different places and seasons and conditions. And then the Argali uh, Rincon, which is a two-person um, kind of teepee style shelter. And then he said specifically with an insert. So that is an example of a shelter where you can run it um, f- completely floorless or with an insert. You know, that's two good scenarios because they're very different tents in the sense that the Gossamer Gear tent, the one, is a one-man shelter. It is very livable um, for a one-man shelter. Um, me being a bigger guy, I always appreciate some length and decent uh, headroom to sit up, whether that's to change or um, when weather is bad and you're spending more time in the tent, for example. So the Gossamer Gear is a great one-man backpacking tent. Uh, pretty small footprint, sets up in a lot of places. For a one-man tent is very livable, very usable. Um, you can sit up in it. You can sit in, open the door, and like cook in the vestibule, for example, while you're in the tent, which is great in bad weather. Um, very light, very fast to set up. It's a trekking pole supported tent. You can in something like the Argali Rincon. Um, just a bigger footprint, right? So if you're hunting mobile, not the easiest one to just pitch anywhere and everywhere, just because it does have a larger, wider footprint because it's a larger shelter. Um, It's a square shelter. So you need to just find more spaces and all dimension would be a better choice. If you wanted to get into later season hunts, it has a removable stove jack, for example, Um, It would be a good one-person tent with massive amount of space for gear and bad weather. can definitely be used as a two-man tent. Um, So again, just backing up and thinking through the big picture questions. And answering those questions first is really going to lead you to know of which of those two tents, just as an example, because he mentioned them, they're very different. And they're going to do, you can use them on similar hunts, but at the same time, they're also going to have different strengths, different nuances that are going to make them better once you define what you're trying to do. So both good tents. Just think more about um, really what you want to do, what your hunting style is, when, where, uh, and all that good stuff. All right. Um, This question came through, jumping back to K4, Steve, on actually some sizing stuff a little bit and then just kind of some modularity questions. Hey, this is Steven. Um, First of all, I just want to tell you thanks for the podcast and the, what you guys do. Uh, I've learned a lot from you guys. And first of all, um, I am, I guess I've got a little bit of a belly and, but I've been working out and such and, and losing a little bit of weight. And, um, I pre-ordered one of your K4 bags. Um, and I didn't think of it at the time, but, um, my question is how easy would it be to, get a smaller hip belt if I can manage to lose that much weight and um, how how easy would that be to change? Would it be a whole new frame or just a new belt? And the other question is um, about videos on 
how to adjust it and how to, you know, certain features um, like you have for the K3 bag on your website. Um, for those of us who did pre-order a bag and we'll be hopefully getting those soonish, um, will there be videos online specific to the K4 or is the K3 going to be similar enough we can watch those and figure it out? Thanks. All right, Steve. So that question came through a little while ago, and since it did, we actually started shipping pre-orders, which is awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah, pre-orders from the show in terms of K4 uh, started shipping last week. We're going to continue to ship this week and should have, I don't know what, Steve, 95% of them shipped by the end of the week this week? Yeah, that's the goal. There'll be a few. Any there's There wasn't many, but people who ordered short frames, so the 22 and 23 and a half, we're still waiting on those uppers which that'll be the very end of the week. So they'll probably ship out or Monday, Tuesday, next week. And everything else will should be out by this Friday. Perfect. Um, so he had a few other questions in there. First, just talk about hip belt sizing. Can you change it, et cetera? Uh, absolutely. We make it really easy to swap out the hip belt. We did shoot a video last week that'll be uh, posted up here on specifically that, just how to change out the hip belt. It's, uh, you know, even if it's the first time you do it, you watch the video, it's going to take you all of four minutes to to swap out the belt. It's very easy to do. And we specifically, uh, Hip Belt's a good example. Of, there's a, It's a product that we sell that we put really small margins on just because it's it's more important to us to just make sure that people get a proper fit and that they're happy with the packs. We try not to make that extra Hip Belt be too expensive to buy when, you know, if, if you lose weight, if you gain weight, uh, if you buy the pack used and you need to get a different belt size on it, we just... Uh, make those as for as affordable as we can so people can swap them out. It's, so I said, certainly a high priority for us is to make sure that because the hip belt is so important uh, as far as the overall performance of the pack and getting you into the right belt, we want to make sure that uh, we just make that as easy as possible. And then he asked about videos. Um, yeah, it's, we've, we've been talking about saying they're coming soon. As you just said, Steve, we shot a bunch of them last week. Um, a bunch of those are being edited as we speak. Some of those are going to be up on uh, both YouTube and the website this week. Um, and then as we launch next week, they'll be even more posted. And some of them will continue to kind of come out after that. So we have a ton of content um, basically in process, if you will. We've shot videos or working on editing them, uploading them. Really, not only just putting a video on YouTube, but trying to build out the website so that it's a great resource. Um, like one of the things we have now for K3 is just a how-to page. You can go to one page on our website, and for K3 packs, there's a video for pretty much how to do almost everything. Um, and we will be doing that exact same thing for K4. Uh, some of those videos will be available immediately, and some of them will just be adding to uh, kind of that library, if you will, over time. So stay tuned. Check those out. If there's ever um, a video you haven't seen on our site or on our YouTube, and it, you know, over the next call it month, you still don't see it, always um, feel free to reach out. Don't hesitate to let us know, like, hey, it'd be cool to see a video on this. And that's something we can add in the future, for sure. So... All right, we had a question, Steve. It's kind of that time of year. Some of you guys are planning, looking at different states, units. Maybe they just found out what tags, at least for some states, they are going to have this year. 
and they're looking to narrow down where they're going to hunt. Um, we had a question kind of about narrowing down locations and also kind of tied it to success rates and private land. Let's go ahead and play this audio question. I got a question about narrowing down what areas you're going to hunt. In states like Washington, uh, with the general tag, you can hunt a lot of different units. And one thing I've kind of observed is that some of the units that have really high success rates or good statistics, um, when you go to hunt them, you have a really hard time finding animals. And it, it, especially units that are skewed with a lot of private land. So when you're looking at those statistics, you know, how much private land there is, and you're seeing a really good looking unit, but the unit's 60% or plus private land, I can have this theory that maybe that's skewing the data and that, you know, a large majority of the take is coming off the private. So I'm trying to balance, do you chase the units that have good statistics from year to year, or do you pick one area and try to learn it really well? And how do you kind of balance both of those things um, when trying to figure out where you're going to hunt? Something I've been really wrestling with lately and would love your input. All right. What are your first thoughts on that, Steve, whether it's kind of on the idea of narrowing down land or just the fact of, hey, does private land tend to correlate with an increase in success? Um, I'm sure it depends somewhat on the species and state, but uh, what are your first thoughts on that? I want to say question, but there's multiple questions. In there. <laughs> My first thought was, man, it's been a while since I've actually like researched a unit. I just kind of, <laughs> I, I haven't really, I mean, besides Idaho and Alaska, it's been quite a few years since I've hunted another state. Uh, yeah. So I had to like kind of go like, oh yeah, I guess I certainly sat back and look, analyzed like Wyoming elk units as I was applying for them, right? And looked at right. it. I think you, I, you, I don't think you default to immediately what's the highest success rate. Uh, obviously, you're just gonna look for like if I was doing a say I want to do a Wyoming deer hunt, I would then I mean, obviously got points to consider. But if you just said that doesn't exist. You would just look at like, okay, where where's big roadless areas for, for me, right? That that's what I want to hunt. And then I would narrow it down to three or four units, and then go, okay, here's some. These are all good backpacking style units. Which one has, you know? Then look at access. Then look at su success rates, and go from there. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's he's 100 right. Like if you just pulled up, you know, uh, any state and pulled up high success rates, and then if you know if it's that unit has a lot of private land then you need to be aware of that and i think idaho i don't know about other states i know idaho does a really good job of even in the regs uh, they'll they'll tell you like hey this unit has a very high density um of, of private land be aware of that you you probably need access to have hunting to have good hunting um so yeah with the tools nowadays right with the onyx and all the other mapping software out there uh, and research tools that's pretty easy to narrow this stuff down pretty quickly. One thought I had on this and I've run into it in my own research in the past on units is okay, there's, you know, say a higher percentage of public or sorry, of private land. What of what's remaining of what is public, what does the accessibility look like? Number one, and then what does the habitat and the terrain look like? Meaning Am I going to look at this and say, okay, yes, there's a lot of private, but what public is there, there's actually some good access. And by good, I don't necessarily mean easy, right? Sometimes I mean not easy, but possible um, mm -hmm. ways to get into some smaller sections of public, maybe between private. Um, 
for example. And then you can also look at, like I said, terrain and habitat. So say there is some um, public land between some private sections. It's like, okay, now I'm beginning to think, here's some public land. What does access look like? And then is there any reason that this public land would hold animals? And sometimes that could be thinking through like, okay, feed to bed cycle, maybe in the way that this land lays out from a habitat perspective. Yes, they may be feeding on private, but if they're not going to be too heavily pressured, maybe the public, for example, is like this cool timbered slope and they could be potentially betting on that for part of the time. Or maybe the public is some sort of travel corridor or funnel between private land, for example. So it's just really looking at, yes, black and white, public, private, but then getting finer and thinking through how can I access the public? And if I can access it, and I think I can access it in a way that it's not going to be heavily pressured from other hunters, then what does that public land that's now open to me, what is what reason would animals have to be on it or use it? being on it maybe part of the time or being on it as a travel corridor, et cetera. So those are the things that I would just kind of think through when you're looking at units that have a higher amount of private land than maybe like what you said, Steve, hmm. not just giant backpackable go wherever I want type unit. Cause there's so much public land. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, as always, appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate the questions. Um, again, you can always just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave a message and you can leave us uh, an audio message with your question. Um, we'll be back with a full length episode this Wednesday. Um, that's a really good one with um, Jaden from Hornady. And then uh, next week, man, is this <laughs> is happening is like launching K4. Finally, uh, we've Ooh, been talking yeah. about it for months and here it is. So uh, <laughs> I know we we're bracing for a wild ride, but thank you guys so much for the con- continued support of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app and we'll talk to you soon.